conversations, random, off-the-cuff discussions on all things paranormal. Welcome to Paranormal Conversations number two. On this episode, we are joined by a listener, a guest who has been with us on History Goes Bump. She's a writer, a tour guide. And that is Kathleen Macca. We had a lot of fun with this one. Just want to give you guys a heads up. The audio is a little bit choppy in places. Just bear with it. I think you'll still be able to enjoy the interview. The career of our guest is measured in decades that have been spent researching history and genealogy. Her ventures have carried her through historic locations and cemeteries, and given her a lifelong love of tales from the past, and her passion for that is infectious. And also an appreciation for the life stories of others, whether related to her or not. She shares those tales through her writing, speaking, and tour guiding. She's written several books, Galveston's Broadway Cemeteries, Ghosts of Galveston, and A History of the Hotel Galvez, and is a member of the Texas chapter of the Association for Gravestone Studies. And her work with historic cemeteries earned the National Society Daughters of the American Revolution Historic Preservation Award in 2019. One might think all this history and research would make one boring, but she's a ton of fun. She's also been a guest on History Ghost Bump, sharing her knowledge about Hotel Galvez with all of us. Please welcome author, historian, and tour guide extraordinaire, Kathleen Macca. Hi, ladies. Hello. Good to see you. It's good to see you again. I think the last time I saw you was over dinner in Houston. I know. It was a long time ago. We need to do that again. I know. Kelly and I were passing through Texas. We made a quick stop in San Antonio. We were taking a car from California to Florida. And I was like, the next time we come, we have got to get down to Galveston. Definitely. definitely. Absolutely. So one of the stories that I like that you've shared is how your grandfather would take you down the rows of the graves in the local cemeteries near your grandparents' farm and tell you about the people buried beneath the tombstones. What did that mean to you and how has it shaped the way you share cemeteries with others? I think at the time, of course, I didn't think it affected me that much because it was just what we were doing. But in retrospect, it has really shaped what I do now. Every facet of what I do now, back in the day, it used to be a tradition that you would go and decorate and clean up families' graves at least once a year. But when we would go up to my grandparents' farm, we would make the rounds of all the little country cemeteries where we had relatives. And my grandfather was not related to any of those people. He was actually my step-grandfather. So when grandma would want her alone time <laughs> with each person, grandpa would walk me up and down the rows. And he was... um an orphan living on the streets by the time he was five. So he knew everybody in town and he would stop. And he would say, well, this is Mrs. Taylor and she was the best baker in town and she would leave a biscuit wrapped in a napkin on the back step for my breakfast. And this is Mr. Butler and he ran the donkey stable. And if I cleaned out the stalls at night, I could sleep in the hayloft. So I learned really fast that they're not just names and dates on stones. It's like a big storybook, but you have to take time to look at. So that started me on my genealogy research, and I've always been interested in ghosts. I've always loved ghosts and a good spooky story. And oddly enough, they kind of tie together because when you research history, you find some really weird things. So we're wondering, since you said you've been interested in spooky stories, have you had some experiences that you weren't able to explain and wondered what they were? 
you know, when I was little eons ago, there was TV, believe it or not. Um, but we had like Night Gallery and Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of. And I was too young to stay up late enough for Night Gallery. But the deal was my parents would let me watch it in my room in the dark if I turned off the TV immediately afterwards. And most kids that would scare, but ever since then, if I watch something scary before bed, I just sleep like a baby. But yeah, I've seen things in my life. I probably saw my first something at about eight. And to this day, I'm not sure that's what I thought it was, but it really started me looking more closely. And, you know, it, I don't believe every ghost word I hear and probably not everybody who thinks they've seen something has some probably have and a lot of people who don't think they've seen anything may have and have reasoned it off something else so i never say never if somebody tells me they've seen something i I take them at their word you've started giving tours which is something new i've only known you as a writer so how has that been going and what made you decide that you wanted to start doing tours well, it's kind of a back door. When I travel, I always look for the ghost tours. You can ask my husband. Besides just being fun, it's kind of a way to learn about the culture and the history and the local places that you travel. You find things that you wouldn't have found otherwise. And I had written a historical book about the cemeteries in Galveston. And the publisher said, well, do you know any ghost stories? I'm like, um, yeah. <laughs> so he asked me to write the ghost stories of Galveston, which I did. And people began asking for tours. Now, there are a lot of other people giving ghost tours in Galveston. So I said no for a while. But I realized they weren't really doing it historically correct. Some of them make it up on the fly. You know, it's just entertainment. So, and that's fine if that's all people want to do is be entertained. But there's so many stories that I think really do have a seed of truth. I think that's more fascinating. So that's when I started giving tours. And we're having so much fun. Galveston is notoriously haunted. We often say that the dead outnumber the living, which is true because due to the Civil War battle, there was the 1900 storm, which was the worst natural disaster in the nation to this day. They've had yellow fever epidemics. There are a lot of stories about how people have died, and but they still love their island and they want to stay. If you ask most homeowners or business owners in Galveston to stop what they're doing and tell you what their latest experience is, probably 98% of them will do it because everybody has a ghost story. It's it's just accepted down there. And I've been talking to some of the other paranormal interested and paranormal investigators down there lately because three out of my last four tours, I've had pretty drastic things happen during the tour, which isn't normal. You know, usually you see, you know, you catch a picture and you're passing it around trying to figure out if that was something, but these were really blatant things and everybody's having it happen which is why I reached out to tell you, it's like, you have to get down here. (laughs) We don't know what's going on. It's not a phase of the moon or anything. So I don't know whether it's just a point in time or what. And interestingly enough, during COVID, when everything was shut down, I thought, I wonder what's going on because I could wander up and down the strand and videotape and there are no cars, no people, of course, because it was locked down. But everybody said that their activity in their homes got totally quiet during COVID. And we don't know why that would be. But it's interesting. That is interesting. And you make a good point. We'll tell people who are going to go on ghost tours that you're probably not going to have anything happen, especially if you're not going into a haunted location specifically. You're just staying on the street. Although some ghost tours do take you into a location, you might have something happen. So when you were like, we're having some activity and it's increasing and it's increasing for everybody, 
we did wonder, is this a pandemic thing where the ghosts were like missing people and now people are back going out on tours so they're excited about it and increase their energy? Or the pandemic, of course, created a lot of fear. And we know these things like to feed off of fear sometimes. So is that something that is feeding off of all this fear that's been going on? That's an interesting theory. I'd like to get a couple of the local teams together and kind of do some spot investigations and see if we can come up with some reason. I don't know if there really is one, but it's just, it's out of character to have something happen repeatedly. And it's not the same, we're not having things in the same building. It's things along the way. Um, Most of my tours are in the business district, which is the old strand, but the buildings are from the 1840s to the 1870s and they're still used. But we have something happen at different points on the tour. So it's not just one building kind of coming alive lately. I think it's really fascinating, but I'm very curious about it. When you say that you've been having things happen, what exactly are those things? There was one tour that I had with a group of ladies, and we were standing in front. Of course, it's dark outside. People don't like to do ghost tours during the day. (laughs) So it was dark outside, and we were standing outside of my friend's shop, and I was telling them all the things that happened. This particular shop is known for being active. They have a little girl ghost, and they've caught her activities on videotape and everything. So there are a lot of fun stories. And I was telling them that, and one of the ladies was peering in the window, and she said, but who's in there now? And I said, well, no one's in there right now. They're on a buying trip in Arizona. And she said, no, there's somebody in there. And I immediately got mad because I thought somebody had broken into my friend's shop, and I was getting ready to call the police. (laughs) And I looked through the window, and I was watching a man walk back and forth really quickly, just walk all the way back and forth in the shop. Wow. And I thought, okay. What in the world? And about the time I was trying to figure out what was going on, I realized I was only seeing somebody from the waist down. (laughs) So that wasn't a break in. And I stood up and I looked again and I looked at her and I said, what are you seeing? And she said, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I don't know why I can only see the bottom part of the guy. So we (laughs) called the other ladies over and said, look in there and tell me what you see. And they saw the exact same thing too. And they described it. Now, the other ladies wouldn't look because <laughs> by that time we were saying what we were saying and they were ready to move on. They did not want it. <laughs> they wanted the stories. They didn't want an experience. I called my friend the next day in Arizona and told him, and he said, Oh, I wish you'd call me last night because he has cameras in there. But if they haven't, like caught anything or seen anything by a certain time they just hit race and start over and he had already erased that time called him which was really a loss and the funny thing is you know when people tell you they've seen something we all carry cell phones around I mean you don't go anywhere without your cell phone we'll videotape it we'll take a picture and show me we were halfway back down the street whole group of us and somebody said did anybody take a picture and none of us had. I'm so frustrated. Oh, no. But we were so taken at the moment by watching it that it didn't even occur to us, like, oh, let me document this. But it was really strange. And they said when I described it to the owners, they had never seen that particular apparition. And they have a lot of activity. Wow. So very interesting. Something brand new. Yeah. So when you see something like this. What exactly do you think that is? I'm going to be asking everybody, what are your theories on ghosts? Well, I'm kind of of the school that there are different 
categories of ghosts or things that cause depression. You know, there are the poltergeists or the noisy ghosts. There are um, apparitions that are more uh, residual. So it, I believe somebody else can believe something different, but I believe it's more imprint of energy. Either something dramatic happened on that spot at a certain time or somebody had high emotion so their energy from that moment imprinted and i think that would be kind of like when you always hear oh this house you know three o'clock in the morning every morning you see a lady in white come down the stairs but that's the only story ever i think there's not really a ghost there i think it's a residual haunting or an imprint of energy and then there are the active hauntings where if you can make eye contact with (laughs) with it or if you can interact with it, if, if you can ask and answer questions with it, that has to be some kind of intelligent, active entity. So that, that I think is more of an active. But that's just me. And everybody has their own thing. And because we don't have it explained, nobody's wrong. That's true. We don't know for sure. And we won't know till we get there. But I like to ask people what they think. So you've shared a lot of stories in your books. Do you have a favorite one? Oh, that's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) It's great to have more than one, though. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, I've told you about the ghost by Audra in the History Ghost podcast a few years ago. On the Strand, probably the one that most people ask about is William Watson. And he came in to Galveston on September 1st, 1900. If you know Galveston history, the great storm that killed every, most of the population, was on September 8th, 1900. So he was there on the first of the very same week, just a coincidence. He came in on the USS Michigan, and he got all dressed up that night to go on the Strand. And another thing about Galveston history is the Strand used to be businesses, but it used to also be a lot of, shall we say, adult entertainment. Our late work and things. So there was a lot for sailors to do when they came in port. And he was all dressed up. He had on his brown suit and brown pants, his black shoes, black tie, pink and white striped shirt. And I can even tell you what color underwear he's wearing. Um, I'll tell you why in a minute. Very odd to know what color underwear a ghost is wearing. But he went out into the strand to have some fun. And the last time he was seen, it was about 1045 at night, and he was said to have been walking with a wavering step. So obviously he had already experienced some of Galveston's entertainment. He was crossing a railroad track at some point. Uh, When the train came down the track, they saw someone laying on the track, and they tried to stop, but you can't exactly stop a locomotive on a dime. So when they hit it, they stopped and walked back, they had not been the first person to hit it. It was a body. Um, And when they hit it, they kind of shoved it off the track. The only thing about it is, although it was a body, it didn't have a head. So they couldn't immediately identify it. So they called the police department, who came down to make a very detailed description of what the body was wearing, since they couldn't describe him, which is why we know what color his pocket square underwear everything was. Poor guy. No respect. Uh, And they went from ship to ship in the port, trying to find somebody who recognized the description. Now, William's first mate and captain even came to try to identify the body, and they said it wasn't anybody they knew. It's just really hard to identify somebody when they don't have a head. Three hours later, police who had been following the tracks trying to figure out what had happened found the head. It had been kicked under the truck, which is kind of like the wheel well of the train. So when it hit, his head was kicked under the truck, and carried from 27th Street to 14th Street. And when the engine stopped, 
it kind of jerked him out of place and he rolled out. Oh, <laughs> man. He was still wearing his derby hat. <laughs> he must have really had it on. That's a good hat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was well-fitted. Tight-fitting hat. <laughs> and that's when they could identify him. And they did bury him. He doesn't have a marker because they either bought one, it was destroyed in the storm, or they never bought one. So we know where he's buried, but he doesn't have a marker. But I often wonder, his, I, of course, did his family tree, because I do family trees for all my ghosts. And he had a wife, Annie, and a two-year-old daughter, Annie. And I often Aww. wonder if they really knew what ever happened to him. But he haunts the old train station, which is now a train museum. And he's been throwing more fits lately, too. He's been breaking a lot of glass and being a little bit more destructive than he's been in the past. When it comes to spirituality, and if you're not comfortable in sharing, that's okay. Which way do you lean when it comes to your religious beliefs? I was raised very strict Catholic. I went to Catholic school. And it's funny when I would tell people when I was younger that, you know, I believed in ghosts and I liked ghost stories. They would say, well, you're not supposed to be Catholic. I would say, well, then why do you keep saying Holy Spirit? <laughs> that was my Catholic. What a sassy little Catholic girl. <laughs> um, I think broad Christianity is probably, you know, my base of belief. But I think probably all religions have something that we can learn from. Another thing that I think when it comes to an uptick in paranormal activity is I don't really follow the UFO stuff that much. It's not really of interest to me, but we have had a lot of disclosure coming out lately where they're admitting that these things are actually visiting us. Just last week, there was a report of people reporting radiation burns and unexplained pregnancies after having interactions with these unidentified flying objects. And it makes me wonder There was a time back in biblical times early on when it seemed like the veil was really thin and there was a lot of interaction between angels and people. God was hanging out with people and talking to them. And we've been told when we get closer to more of an end time scenario that that veil might be getting kind of thinner too. It does make me wonder since we have all this stuff that seems to be going on now with the UFOs and increase in paranormal activity. There's a lot more interest in this kind of thing. Does that signify that we might be getting closer to a time when that veil is getting thinner? That's really hard. It's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm not, I don't particularly follow the UFO things. I used to watch the shows when I was a kid. I don't say it doesn't happen, obviously, because I just, I don't follow it. I'm not interested, which is interesting because I was born in Roswell. So <laughs> <laughs> you'd think I would be. <laughs> If you look throughout history, though, at almost every point in time that major things were happening, you know, huge wars, way before World War I, the general populace thought, okay, this is a sign of end times. They, they just did because it had been the worst that they and their generation had ever experienced. Sure. And it, it does seem like everything's coming to a head, but I'm sure it did to other generations, too. We, of course, have to take into consideration that we have a lot more weapons of mass destruction than used to exist in the past. But I don't know if that's it or is another realm or level just deciding that they need to make us more aware so we start behaving better. You know, who knows? But it's all interesting to think about. Exactly. I'm the same way when it comes to a ghost. And when it comes to aliens, I don't know what are each of those. Are they connected to each other? Sometimes I think there is a connection. And maybe these things are just presenting themselves in different ways. The other thing I wanted to ask you, obviously, you've been to a lot of haunted historic locations, and I'm going to do it to you again. 
Do you have a favorite? Oh gosh, that's really hard. I love going to, I bless my husband's heart. When we travel, he has to go on the local ghost tours and we have a hard time driving down the road. I see those little green signs with the cemetery and the arrow. And he's yes. like praying I won't <laughs> get from the map and make him turn off the road. <laughs> um, but he's really sweet. He humors me about it. One of my places that I go every year because I speak the paranormal conference there is Jefferson, Texas. And it's it's not Atlanta's great and all the bigger places are great. But Jefferson's really cute. It was a little port town. It still has a lot of its historic buildings and homes have been turned into bed and breakfast that you can stay in. And they have a paranormal conference actually twice a year. I usually go once to, to do my little speaking. But the lady there that runs the paranormal conference, Jody, also does the local ghost tour. And she's probably the one. I literally take her tour every year, which you would think, okay, I've heard it before. I've never taken one of her tours that I hear all the same stories because she knows so many stories. And we just kind of like wander around and she knows everybody. So we go in the buildings, which is unusual on a ghost tour because you usually don't have permission. Um, and when you go to the paranormal conference, they actually will have private homes and bed breakfasts and abandoned buildings that they have a paranormal team in each location and you go from location to location and you do your investigation which is a lot of fun but that sounds amazing oh it's so much fun it's so much fun and yeah everybody's really open the people that come to it are very open really fun to hang around with you know you're tromping the streets in the middle of the night people you don't know and laughing yeah it's a lot of fun but Debbie's tours are really good she she does her more like I do, where she really knows her history, which to me makes it more interesting because everything's grounded in truth. You can't tell a ghost story and say it's because this happened. Well, that never happened. You know, when right. I was narrowing down the stories for Ghost of Galveston, I think I had 160 something stories that I'd gathered, but I wanted ones that I could prove the incident happened with newspaper reports, death certificates, you know, something solid genealogist side of me, um, that the person really existed. And that helps me narrow it down really fast, <laughs> you know, because the really vague ones, they're it's not saying they're not there, but I put the story behind it. So it's not as interesting to me. Yeah. And you know, that's the way we do our podcast. We've always put the emphasis on the history. We even would have people at the beginning who would complain that there was too much history and not enough spooky. And I'm like, the most important part is the history. That's what drew me to your podcast. I love your podcast for that reason. Yeah, you literally can't go in and investigate a place without knowing what's going on behind there. You don't know how to relate to what might be there or why there would be that energy there. And a lot of people may not realize the reason you're getting to go in to ghost hunt that place is because they need to put a roof on it. Right. The way I describe it to people is if you're watching a movie on TV and there are two actors interacting is it more enjoyable if they're actually on a set or location where you can see what their surroundings are and what's affecting them? Or would you really rather see those people talking with a green screen in back of them? Exactly. If you don't know what's around them and affecting them and putting it in a setting, it, it makes it a more full story. How far is Jefferson from Galveston? Oh, gosh, not far, like three hours. Okay, so it could be like you hit that when you're on your way down to Galveston. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just planning a trip. Yeah, it's in Far East Texas. So, you know, you can do your New Orleans ghost because they have great ghost tours. 
and then Jefferson is, you know, literally like 30 minutes from the Louisiana border, I think, and then come on down and play with us. Do you have a dream haunted location you'd like to visit? Oh, gosh. Um, one of the cemeteries in uh, Moscow that I went to was reportedly haunted, and I didn't have any personal experience there, but that was fabulous. But I think, I'd, although I'm not 100% sure what I believe about it, I'd love to do one of the big sanitariums on the East Coast. Yeah, we're the same way. I've been into Waverly Hills, and definitely Trans-Allegheny is on the list. Yeah, call me, we'll go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Road trip. Yeah. <laughs> Kathleen, we want to thank you for joining us. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find out a little bit more about you, your books, and your tours? So my name is Kathleen Macca, like macaroni, and it's M-A-C-A. I have four books out. Two of them are ghost books. And you can find more information about my tours and my travel blog and all the good groovy details on my website. And that's just KathleenMackaTogether.com. Awesome. And I can attest that your books are amazing. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. We yeah. definitely look forward to getting down and visiting you and doing some exploring and some ghost hunting. Absolutely. I'll take you some fun places. Well, you and your family have a happy Easter. Thank you too, both of you. Kelly, that was a lot of fun. We definitely have to make it down to Galveston and hang out with Kathleen. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. We've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye.